Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here, Kurt Mortensen here as well with episode 39 ready to go. Almost getting to episode 40. The suspension is building even more for episode 50. We should probably start thinking about that, but we're taking it one at a time. How you doing, Kurt? One at a time. Doing well. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, feeling good. Just doing the rest up was in New York this past weekend, so I'm just still in catch-up mode. But getting there, feeling good, and enjoying the sunshine. Are they going to make you claim residency in New York? You to pay those delightful New York City taxes soon. You're out there all the time. New York gets me and California gets me. Just for showing up and smiling, they tax me. Although this time I have to say I wasn't in New York City. They put me in Queens next to LaGuardia Airport. And, yeah, it's a little bit different than Times Square. <laughs> My blunder of the week was I enjoy jogging. Hey, get to know an area by jogging. Put on your shoes and go jog without a map. Those roads in Queens are not north or south. They go all over the place. And I have to admit, I got lost in an area that I wasn't feeling very safe. <laughs> well, you should go uh, jog across the bridge. Go jog in Jersey next time. Something happened, and I had to find some help to find my way back. Usually, I get pretty good radars coming back, but I got turned around, twisted around, and the streets were not parallel. They were going all over the place, and... It's always a good feeling when you're in one of those areas like, hmm, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kurt, go ahead, offend our listeners and tell us why you thought you weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> oh, uh, there was the bars on the windows and <laughs> oh, okay. we'll leave a it variety at that. of other things. I see, I see. It's too soon to offend. We can't do that just right out of the chute. Well, we hit him hard last week. We should take the week off. We're kind of spoiled here in the Intermountain West where you have these big mountains that tell you where's north and south and the streets are all in a grid and you go back east where apparently there was no rhyme or reason to zoning when uh, you know much older cities than we're used to. So it can uh, can be confusing. It's always good to have a landmark. Even in California, there were mountains to where you could say, okay, that's north, the beach is that way. But sometimes, especially places like mm, Kansas... <laughs> If you don't have a compass, if you're in the middle of that state, you have no idea where you are because there's no bearings. Uh, it's nuts. When I lived in Indianapolis, there was a overpass, if we have any listeners there, on the 465 freeway that you'd go up probably 30 or 40 feet to kind of go around and, and loop on this other freeway. And I always loved it because I could see. <laughs> because everywhere else is just trees and flat and fields. And I think Indiana probably has to be the flattest place on, on the face of the earth. It's up there, although when people visit, say, Denver or Utah, even the New Mexico areas, they get claustrophobic because the big mountains are just not used to them. Yeah, I was in Denver last week, and I got to say, in Utah, the mountains are much more on top of you than they are in Denver. In Denver, they're kind of out in the distance. Unless you go to Montana and start hiking the Tetons and those mountains, they are huge. That's true. That's true. Yeah, mountains in Appalachia on the East Coast are called hills here. That's for sure. Good tangent. So hills on one side, mountains on the other. There you go, everybody, in case you didn't know. So I am struggling through some allergies. The allergies have got me, and I am making the stock of whatever drug company that owns Allegra go through the roof. I'm just 
taking that stuff like crazy. So forgive sniffles. I will try to keep them off the microphone today. Regardless, well, the show I'll must go on. I'll give my shout out to Zyrtec because I'm having the same problem. So we'll see which one does better. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly right now. Pretty gnarly. So late spring is having a tough time getting going, but it, it'll happen. So today, that's great because we're talking about optimism today. And did you just hear my resounding optimism about <laughs> spring? I just felt it sucking the life out of me, if that's what you're talking about. Whoa, come on, man. <laughs> Not that bad, but you can feel the lack of love for spring in your heart. <laughs> well, spring is a little schizophrenic. You know, you kind of get tired of it and those allergies. But we do want to be optimistic. We especially want to be optimistic in persuasion. And you actually, in another geeky article moment brought to us by Kurt, have an article just along those lines, which might make some people think they need to get a divorce. Or am I interpreting too much? You can, and I don't know if this is a geeky article because I think everybody reads the Journal of Psychosomatic Research. I don't think I'm the only one, but I could be. Yeah, I that's could. on the stand at the barbershop. Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends and Influence People, a Journal of Psychosomatic Research. But anyway, this yeah. article is interesting because when you study successful people and influential people, one thing that came up, especially when I was doing laws of charisma research, was optimism. And this one takes a little different spin that an optimistic spouse can boost a partner's health. And they found that having an optimistic spouse predicted better mobility and fewer chronic illnesses over time, even above and beyond a person's own level of optimism. And that was from the University of Michigan. And so that's pretty interesting that we know that optimism is important, and we can talk about that, but the people around us, the energy we feel, what they say and do, that the spouse was a bigger indicator than the actual person. And what they found is that optimists are more likely to seek social support when facing difficult situations. They have a larger network of friends, and those friends provide support. And so this optimism, which increases our social networks, which we could talk about social media, have a profound influence on our health and well-being. And so this is the first study to show that someone else's optimism could be impacting your own health. Because I can list so many studies about optimism personally and success and being influential, being charismatic. But this was cutting edge just to show that the people we know, the people we select as a spouse, the people we surround ourselves with, all those will help us have more success and be more optimistic and have a more impactful life. I think we've all known that to one degree or another intuitively, but this is the first time, yeah, like you said, that a study uh, did the math on the subject and you're in theory, around your spouse more than anybody else. So if you're married to a, a grumpy battle axe, then you've got problems, right? You've got to uh, maybe not be around him as much. <laughs> yeah, we can't necessarily give that advice. We will offend everyone. But yes. If the person that you're around the most, whoever it is, is sucking the life out of you, is like being around darkness, <laughs> is rusting your soul, then you've got some soul searching to do because... Uh, you're not going to live as long, you're not going to be successful, you're not going to be charismatic, and you're definitely not going to be influential. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're doing that to you, and that's how your life is, I mean, I'll go out on a limb here and say, what good is it being married to <laughs> Aren't you supposed to kind of upgrade if you get married and be happier than you would have been otherwise if you're single? Or that's am I missing something here? No, that's how it's supposed to be. You're bringing everyone up as a team, as a unit, than we are separately. And that's probably what happens here is when your partner's pulling you down, sucking life out of you, you probably do not want to live as long. And that's just nature taking course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of bad jokes about that out there and people having a tough time in relationships. So <laughs> hopefully you have an optimistic partner. If not, I don't know what to tell you. 
Yeah, well, at least, worst case scenario, we're not going to give you any marital advice. Surround yourself with other people, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, whatever you can find. Religious groups tend to be more optimistic than others. Surround yourself so it's not completely negative all around. You have some people that are pumping you up that don't cause your soul to rust and give you that hope and that energy that you need. Right, right. And there's constructive realism. I mean, you need people that are going to tell it like it is when there's a serious problem. If you've got a a lump in your stomach and you go see the doctor, you want somebody who's going to tell you what's really going on. So there's that line between constructive realism and reckless optimism I, I think that we need to be aware of. But uh, yeah, I've, I've had people in my business career, I, I've been in sales for much of it, that are just negative all the time to a fault, right? And we're not talking about they identified a problem that really needs to be addressed. They're just always talking about problems that people can't necessarily do anything about. And wow, that just, like you said, it sucks the life out of you. It's no good being around those people. And one of these times we need to talk about meta programs. And for some, that's a meta program. That's how they see the world. You show them 10 positive things and one's negative, they're going to go right to the negative. They're going to find what's wrong. They want an argument. And when you negotiate and influence on these people, sometimes you have to give them something to argument something to find wrong, that's probably a whole nother lesson, but that's how they're programmed and they'll find the negative in it every time. I think there's a lot of people like, and I think that's good. I mean, if that's what I do to sometimes I'm going, okay, what's the catch, right? I mean, that's what we're saying in a nutshell. What's the catch? You hear something that's so great in persuasion or in marketing and you can kind of control that. Like you said, strategically give them something negative so that you take away that objection of, okay, this is just way too rosy. This has to be a scam. <laughs> There's a seminar promoter we both know, and it was always interesting. He would never buy coffee, would never buy donuts or anything else because he wanted to give them something to complain about. And if that's all they're complaining about, he's doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. <laughs> Other seminar promoters, and I think this is kind of a, a dual-edged sword, but they keep the room cold. So you've got two or three people complaining about that then you're okay. And so they're complaining about something, but also they're not falling asleep. That's obviously the main purpose of it, right? And that's true. If that's all they're complaining about and everything else is great, you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. So, And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about optimism and how it applies to the science of influence and persuasion. We've got into it a little bit already, but kind of transitioning off of that article, Kurt, in, in an effort to avoid another awkward segue... What what are some of the things that we should keep in mind as it pertains to optimism and persuasion? Well, first of all, I love what Winston Churchill said. He says, a pessimist sees a difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And it's how you see the world. It's your frame of reference. And that's the key thing here. When you really look at the research, that when you're an optimist, it actually, as we talked about, adds years to your life. You have stronger social networks and social support, meaning you know more people, more people are willing to help you. You have higher levels of motivation, persistence, and performance. I mean, it just goes on and on on how these things look. And belief in optimism or good luck produces a positive impression that causes feelings of optimism and confidence. And the bottom line is pessimistic people give up twice as fast as optimistic people. And it's really important how this understands. You have to realize, though, that pessimism does repel charisma. And that's very important to understand as we get into this and how this works out and to understand how it works. Now, the key factor here is when you're optimistic, and we've met the people that are too optimistic, that are too energetic, that 
you're like, whoa, whoa, take it down a notch and the way they answer questions. And it's basically how you see the world. You're looking around corners. You could expect bad things to happen. But overall, you know that things are going to work out. And that is the key factor is that you know overall that things will eventually work out. You keep going. You keep that positive attitude. And that makes a huge difference in what people are able to do. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because they have that adage in sales and in marketing that most sales close after the sixth or seventh attempt, I believe, is it? And uh, if you're just inherently a negative person, you're not even going to make it that far. That's exactly right. And so optimism equals success. And realize that a lot of people talk about you got to have PMA, PMA, because you can lump attitude with optimism and the way I like to define attitude is attitude comes from your expectations. If you expect to have a rotten day and you expect everyone to say no, if you expect everyone to suck the life out of you, it happens. And so a lot of it is adjusting our expectations. And a lot of people, when you talk about attitude, are chameleons. They wait for someone to cut them off, and they just, that's going to dictate their whole attitude for the day. And so I'm not talking about that PMA or you've seen the movie The Secret. I think a lot of our listeners have. Yeah, yeah. If you're sitting on the couch with your PMA thinking, I'm the best and people like me and I'm wealthy, they're going to haul you off. That's a form of delusion. I'm glad you're optimistic. I'm glad you have a good attitude. But if you don't have an action plan, if you can't get your butt off the couch, they will haul you off and hide the key because you're not thinking straight. PMA being positive mental attitude. I, I don't know if you covered that, but I'm guessing that's what you mean. <laughs> that's exactly what I mean. And so they go hand in hand, having a good attitude, expecting great things to happen, knowing that, hey, you might hit a few roadblocks along the way. You might lose a few of the races. You might lose a few of the deals. But overall, you're going to become financially independent. You're going to make it happen. And that's what great influential people have. They're going to have a bad phone call, and someone's going to beat them up, and they're going to call them names. You're going to get that bad feeling inside. But that great persuader can turn on a dime. They could quickly look at a vision board or think of their goals or think of their loved ones or take a quick walk or smoke something they're not supposed to. Oh, no, I didn't mean to put that one in there. But <laughs> they, they have the ability to quickly turn from a very negative attitude to a positive attitude and realize that rejection's not personal. They don't know you that well. They don't know your product that well. They might be having a bad day, but you've got to quickly go from a negative attitude or pessimism to optimism because when you make that next phone call, you have that next meeting, you do that next presentation, if you're not mentally in it, you're going to suck the life out of your audience, they're going to sense something is wrong, and you're going to lose the deal. Absolutely. Dwelling on that does you absolutely no good in sales. What does you good is to learn from it and move on absolutely as quickly as possible. I had, oh, this was about six months ago, a rather large open purchase contract with an institutional buyer of real estate. And I was going to make a significant amount of money on the transaction. And I was pretty excited. You know, you start spending the money in your head. I don't know. <laughs> You've probably <laughs> done that. I think we've all spent the money before we've got it before. And I was falling for that one hook, line, and sinker in this case. And the night before we were supposed to close, I get a call from my selling partner uh, who told me that he got an email and that the purchaser was backing out. And this was not good news. I mean, I was furious. I was depressed and angry, all in the all in the same feeling somehow. And there had been some mistakes that I made in the contract and in the whole process that may have prevented it. I noted those and talked to uh, one of my mentors who told me, look, the learn from it. And the sooner you can forget about this and shake it off 
and get back to work and put your head down, the better it is. Because the fact is, you can't do anything about it right now. But a good attitude and getting back to work is going to be what recovers from this. And that's just what you have to do, even though sometimes those big orders don't close. And that's where people get sucked into that blame and pointing fingers and whose fault is it and how could that happen to me? And it's just a downward spiral and people can sense that. And you just got to bounce back and know that it's eventually going to work out. Sure, it hurts. Sure, it's painful. Sure, you got to distance yourself from a reality for a little bit. But when people get stuck in that blame, when they're pointing the fingers and they don't take ownership like you just did, you made some mistakes. You could have done a better job. You could have done something different. That alone is a mark of greatness because those who point fingers and want to blame and someone has a better territory, it's the economy, it's the government, it's just a downward spiral. And I've done this before with success seminars. I have people say, well, go ahead and list the 10 top reasons you're not as successful as you want to be. And you know the one. What is the one they forgot the most? Themselves. Themselves. And that's true. Until you point the finger at yourself and realize, yeah, maybe I should have done this or changed this or adapted this. That's where true greatness comes because now you fix it. Because when you're blaming somebody else, you can't fix it because it's never your fault. That's so frustrating dealing with people like that who are not able to look in the mirror or admit that they had something to do with a negative outcome. What a turnoff and what a way to, to get people out of your life. Be, be something like that. We're talking about this when, when things go wrong and still having the, the optimistic attitude. And we're talking about it in the context of sales and persuasion. I think it's even harder when it comes to personal relationships, right? Because we're selling and we're persuading and influencing in personal relationships all the time. And when something goes wrong, that's obviously much harder to repair. But we still have to learn from it and pick ourselves up and move, move along and, and try to fix it as best as we can. But a lot harder because losing a good client, or okay, they're not going to be a client anymore. But having something go wrong when it comes to influencing or persuading a child, for example, that's, uh, that's tough. That's huge because no one can influence in the long term with negative attitudes or pessimism. And we are more influential, even become charismatic when we can turn people's negativity into something more positive because we know that positive people are more are easier to influence than negative people. And so we have to look at the world in a different way. We have to move away from drowning ourselves in the current challenge, spend time looking for who's to blame. Instead, we just find the solution. When you hit bumps, when our listeners, when you hit bumps, you don't stop to whine or complain or think it's not fair. You look for other resources, strategies to make it through those bumps because that's what makes the difference because you can be more optimistic. There are things you can do to become more optimistic. Yeah, the listeners, and, and you've probably heard it, Kurt, but I think it illustrates the point quite nicely is that parable of the the farmer and the, and the uh, mule who he had a, a deep well on his property and he heard this crazy noise coming from one of the mules on the property, he's going around, he's hearing this noise, he's thinking, what is wrong with this animal? And finally he realizes, oh, you know what? It's got to be in the well. And he goes over to the well, and sure enough, the mule had fallen down to the bottom and is down there trying to get out, making all kinds of crazy noises, and it's just quite unsettling. And I didn't make this story up, but obviously this farmer is a little bit psycho. He gets the bright idea that, you know what, I've been meaning to fill in this well. <laughs> and and that mule was old and sick and, and useless anyway. Let's uh, let's get the neighbors over here and let's just start filling in this well and uh, kill two birds with one stone, <laughs> so to speak. So the neighbors all come over with a the farmer. They're tossing dirt into the well. 
And the mule, every time a load of dirt would land on its back, he would go nuts and he would shake that dirt off and then he would step up. And they kept doing this and the mule would shake and the dirt would fall off of his back and he kept stepping up until eventually he's looking the farmer in the eyes and had climbed his way up out of the well. And that's all you can really do is you can shake it off and you can step up because if you just dwell on it and cry about it, pretty soon you're buried alive and you're you're not going to go anywhere. And I think that illustrates the point nicely. It does. And, and that's the key thing to remember. You can learn optimism. In fact, there's a great assessment, a great book by Dr. Martin Seligman called Learned Optimism that he says, no, this is a choice. And there's a variety of things. In fact, Get your notes out. Let me give you a few things that you can do because we can all work on this. We've been in downward spirals before. Sometimes we have something happens through the day. We become very pessimistic very fast. So we've talked about we don't blame. One thing you can do is take a look at past success, past victories. Have a victory list of things you've accomplished in your life that you're really proud of. Be around optimistic people. Your self-talk. A lot of things you're saying to yourself are very, very negative. We know your thoughts control your emotions. Your emotions control your action. Emotions control your actions. And here's one that a lot of people don't think about. Watch what you eat. Stay healthy and exercise. Mm-hmm. Because exercise helps you. You have more energy. There's something about that that actually increases your optimism, increases your hope. And you have more energy and people can sense that. And the last one I also mentioned, but I want to mention again is, you need to have the ability to quickly turn that negative mood, that bad attitude, into a positive one. Because if you take three hours to do that, you've wasted the whole day. What can you do in two, three, four, five minutes? Have a ritual. Take a walk. Talk to somebody. Call somebody. Listen to humor. Whatever works for you. Walking outside. Walking in the sunshine. Whatever works for you, that is a mark of greatness. Yeah. And you're basically saying something I was going to say and kind of simplify this and (laughs) at the risk of sounding simplistic, but... When you have something that happens, because most of our listeners are in sales or influence or marketing of some kind, they have to be pretty motivated people, right? When you're changing people's minds, this isn't like you're punching forms behind a desk, right? You're a hunter. You go out there and you make money. As, as Brian Tracy has said, nothing happens until somebody makes a sale, right? All these people in your business that are in HR or various other departments, they don't have a job without you. And and it does sound simplistic, like I said, but when you have one of those negative experiences, take a break. I mean, physiologically, your brain needs to recover. You need to kind of forget about it and put it behind you. For the, the other day, I had something like that happen to me, too. And, and it meant I just took the rest of the day off, did some stuff around the house, and I slept. And, and I, you know, the rest of that day, I was thinking, oh, geez, what a crazy business. Do I even want to do this? And then you wake up the next day and everything is fine. And you didn't risk some bad interactions with other prospects. Now, granted, most of the time you don't have that luxury. You have to recover. You have to do something quick to get back in the optimistic mind frame. But sometimes it's bad enough where you just take the day and uh, then you're fine the next day and you're back to your normal aggressive self, which, like I said, you kind of have to be if you're listening to this podcast and you're wanting to become a better persuader. It's probably because you're a very motivated person whose income or whose result or satisfaction is tied to production. And those are good points and those things that work for people. If you if it's really bad, maybe it's a nap. If it's really bad like what happened to you, walk away and you slept. And that's the amazing thing. You wake up in the next morning and you're thinking, All right, let's do it. Not that big of a deal. Let's get yeah, yeah. Let's get to, let's get back into the game. All right. I've licked my wounds. Let's move on. And there's something about a little nap or a good night's sleep that can put you back on track. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything else you want to say about optimism before we uh, move on to the next uh, segment of the show? 
Yeah, quit looking for possible signs of setback or failure or blame. Try to look for what's right in the world or around you, not for what's wrong. Try to control your relationships a little more and spend more time with optimistic people. Find others that are willing to help you through the bumps in the road. So when you're feeling down, when you're feeling low, you have someone that you can talk to that's going to lift you up, that's optimistic, that has a good attitude, and those are very contagious. Absolutely, absolutely. Get rid of all the negative people. Get divorced, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Well, I did say that. You but, did uh, say that. We got to be careful with that one. We, <laughs> yeah, we won't go down that road. Just do what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, do what you got to do. So let's uh, let's move on to the blunder. Cue up Homer for me, Kurt. All right, here it comes. Don't, don't, don't. Oop, there he is. There he is, Homer, signifying an incoming blunder. This one's pretty good. It's going to be quick. A headline off a of newser. I get a lot of my news off of newser.com, a great news source. A newser, go ahead and email uh, how we can get paid to maximize your influence at gmail.com because you're getting plugged. But uh, a student, uh, the headline is, student, my professor taught the wrong course all semester. Not cool, professor. Apparently in a, uh, a bunch of students in this class at the uh, at a university in Texas, I'll leave the name of the university out here. Oh, no, Texas Lone Star College. I can say that. It's in the article. But uh, was supposed to be teaching introduction to chemistry, was instead teaching advanced biochemistry. And you can imagine these students the whole semester are thinking, wow, this is an introduction? Can you imagine what advanced biochemistry wait, wait, must wait, be wait. like? So are you saying the blunder is the students were sitting through this thing and not realizing it was the wrong class, or the professor not realizing he was teaching the wrong stuff and not reading the face of his students when they were sitting there with their eyes wide open, not having a clue what he was saying. <laughs> well, okay. She was saying. Point taken, point taken. And yeah, it was a she. But I mean, I, I wouldn't know the difference between advanced and basic. This is chemistry. <laughs> well, I think I guess... this is more on the teacher. <laughs> They're probably saying, oh, it's a weeder course. It'll be tough. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The whole so did the tests were wrong. When did they figure it out? When it was all said at, at the very end, a teacher brought it up, or one of the students brought it up. So this particular student was really mad because it ruined her 4.0 grade point average. She got a B in the class, which kudos to her. I mean, yeah. pulls a B out of advanced chemistry. <laughs> but then everyone had the wrong book too. I'm assuming. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of interesting things that are happening here. Right? And there's a whole lesson in authority where you just, oh, they're the professor. They must know. I need to listen, take notes, and vomit it on a test. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and we need to fix our, some of our education system there, it sounds like. It, it does sound like it. it. On Newser, it's funny because the people who read the story can rank it according to the emotions they felt. So 19% thought it was hilarious. 7% thought it was depressing. 7% thought it was scary. 2% thought it was intriguing, 2% thought it was brilliant, but 63% of it thought it was ridiculous, and I concur. Yeah, that's, there was too many things happening. There. Someone didn't figure it out, at least the first, second, or third week, not the whole semester. Yeah, open your mouth, people. Come on. This is, <laughs> it's like a bad episode of Candid Camera. Hey, I teach at a university. You can call out the professor and say, now, wait a minute. My syllabus says, I thought my book is, because sometimes professors... They're not as smart as you think they are. There's a reason we have the term absent-minded professor. That's, That's supposed to mean so the professor is smart, but not necessarily, right? That's true. Yeah, well... That's the blunder. Uh, unnamed professor at Texas Lone Star College. Congratulations. You made the cut. 
Good work. You made the cut, and now you'll soon be on the show. <laughs> We've been talking about doing a blunder highlight reel. There right? you go. I don't know how we do that. Put it on YouTube, or we just do some secret shopping and get some of these people making some serious blunders. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. We've been talking about that for a while. I think we're, we're going to go that direction because all of you, you keep listening to the show. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And where we can always use your help is to leave reviews on iTunes. When you're logged into iTunes and you search podcasts, you see ours come up and you can scroll down there and leave reviews. We need to get some reviews on there. And always, please send us your feedback to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. You can listen on uh, Stitcher, getting lots more people listening on Stitcher. Or just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com to read the blog entries, which actually matter now. Instead of a a quick little paragraph, uh, we're making a, a much bigger effort to give you some good content on the blog and summarize the show up and link to the the articles, and we even had a link to Jerry Seinfeld on the last <laughs> one, which Kurt uh, always loves and appreciates. Always loves. So these are new and improved. So when you have a lot of time, go back and read them because you didn't get the improved ones. We're always about improvement. You know, Tony Robbins talked about uh, Kanai with the uh, Japanese corporate uh, culture, uh, constant and never-ending improvement. So we're going to be redesigning the website soon as well. I even got a new microphone. Which makes me sound more distinguished, I'm told. You do. Now I'm going to have to pull out my other microphone. I'm not sounding as smart as I'm supposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to get it. The microphone makes you sound smart. That's for there sure. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody, thanks always for listening to the show. Like I said, feedback, comments, questions, suggestions to maximize your influence at gmail.com. We're going to sign it off. We're going to come at you with episode number 40 next week, and we will not disappoint on the food talk because we struck out on this episode for that. Ooh, Kurt? We did. We yeah, did. we did. We did. Any Anything else uh, before we shut her down? No. Optimi- well, no, we say this. Yes. Optimism's <laughs> a choice. It is a choice. Choose this week to be a little more optimistic, to attract better people in your lives, and you will be more influential. Have a great week, everyone. See ya. See ya.